Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hey everyone, welcome to Fishhawk Live. It's a Wednesday night. And tonight we are joined by Captain John Pollock from Real Impression Charters in Sturgeon Bay. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks, Chris. Well, we really appreciate you having on. Uh, and you're a guy from, from Wisconsin. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your charter. Yeah, my name is Captain John Pollock. I own Real Impression Sport Fishing Charters in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. And if you're not local, um, if you look at a map of Wisconsin, it looks like a hand. And Sturgeon Bay is right in the middle of the thumb of the hand. Uh, it's what makes the northern half of Door County an island, so to speak. And we fish uh, to the east of Sturgeon Bay, out the Sturgeon Bay Ship Canal, uh, on Lake Michigan, usually on the Bank Reef or, or somewhere near it. Uh, yeah, John. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think for people who don't know, it's kind of, a lot of people don't realize that that tip out there is actually an island and Sturgeon Bay is kind of right in between that. So there are a lot of charters that run both the Green Bay side and, and the Lake Michigan side. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What a blessing we have to be able to call Green Bay and Lake Michigan and, and the Bay of Sturgeon Bay our home. I mean, we can literally fish for any type of fish that the Great Lakes holds at, at some point of the year. It's really amazing. Very cool. Uh, your charter, what what kind of boat are you running? What... what uh... What kind of craft you putting out on the water? So we run a 35-foot Viking. It's got full bedroom, full kitchen, uh, hot and cold running water, heat, air conditioning, full bathroom, all leather furniture. Uh, it's really, really nice. You can get in out of the elements if it's not nice outside. And a nice big back uh, dance floor for fighting the fish. I usually stay up on the fly bridge to keep track of everything. Um, we run about a 16-line spread most of the time, usually going after king salmon. Um, Obviously, a lot of steelhead mixed in, some lake trout, brown trout. Once in a while, a coho, but we're pretty far north, so we don't we don't get many cohos. So you're running a lot of lines. There's 16 lines set, chasing kings out in Lake Michigan. And the place that you go and the place that you're passionate about is called the Bank Reef. Yes, sir. What about the Bank Reef? So the Bank Reef is a gigantic piece of structure off of Door County, about five miles out. It's the biggest piece of structure on Lake Michigan on the west side. Um, the other ports, Bailey's Harbor, Kiwani, Algoma, Sheboygan, they all have some structure. But Sturgeon Bay is lucky enough to have a, a ski hill five miles from where we come out of the lake. It goes from 30, 40 feet on top to about 130 feet on the bottom. It's about five miles long, like I said, and um, it can be absolutely lights out fishing. Awesome. Folks, if you're watching tonight and you have a question for John, go ahead and put it in the comments. And as we always do every week, we're going to pick one question that we like the best. And that question will be the question of the night. You're going to get some free Fishhawk swag. We'll throw you a hat. We're going to throw some stickers and whatever else the guys have HQ to throw in the box. We're going to get some Fishhawk swag. So if you got some questions for Captain John, go ahead and put them in the comments and we'll get to them as we talk here this evening. Now, you said, John, that it really dropped off 40 feet down to that 170, 180 number. How long does it go? You said that's five miles uh, long. The reef is uh, how long does it take to get from that, that, that shallow depth all the way down to the, the deep water? Right. So the reef is five miles long north to south or south to north, I should say. 
And east and west wise, it doesn't take very long at all. It's literally like a ski hill. The northern half is a lot steeper than the southern half. Um, but I'm talking within a few seconds in some areas, it can drop off 100 feet. Wow. So really, really steep. How do you fish something like that then? If you're out there and you can be in such shallow water. I mean, you really got to kind of keep an eye on your gear when you're dealing with uh, something that, that drops off that quickly or moves up that quickly if you're coming from the other direction. Yeah, you're exactly right, Chris. And and there's nothing that can teach you how to fish the bank reef more than just doing it. You know, this is my 25th season fishing salmon off of Sturgeon Bay, specifically the bank reef. So I'd like to say that I, I got it down a little bit. Um, but the electronics nowadays are, are amazing. I have a Lowrance HDS 12 touch on the Viking. I've got all the waypoints marked. Um, there's certain spots you're going to hear about, like the rock pile, the foghorn spot, the lighthouse spot. There's a sunken car ferry that we call the wreck. Um, and you just, you know, you do your tracks every year. You erase them because your screen will turn black at some point. But it's just repetition. And getting somebody that's done it a little bit to kind of show you the way, um, it's awesome. How do, you, how do you go about attacking that? So if you're going to go out and fish the bank reef, what kind of strategy do you go into as far as getting your gear out and, and how you're going to run it? How do you strategize your day when you're planning on going out there? Okay, so what's cool about fishing a large piece of structure like the bank reef is it does what any big reef would do anywhere. It collects current, it collects bait fish, it collects the little things that the bait fish eat, which in turn collect predator fish, kings, steelhead, lake trout, brown trout. And what I do specifically, um, and I'll really get specific here, when you come out of the canal in Sturgeon Bay, the canal points almost exactly southeast. So you would have to turn a little bit and what most people do and what I do is you start at the bottom bottom of the reef because it is closer. And that's about a 120 compass heading. And that will bring you straight to the spot we call the rock pile. Okay. The rock pile is usually 90 to 115 feet is where most people like to start fishing. Uh, especially in that early morning when those fish are really smashed up against the reef. Feeding hard in that early morning, what we call prime time. And you just head north and you just really watch your depth finder, make sure you don't go any shallower than 80 because it kind of flattens off and it's not that great. And then if you get to the 130, 140 mark, you're kind of off the reef. And a lot of times that can be okay, it's fine. But if you want to stay right on that edge, um, heading north, I keep my compass, I know it sounds old school, but this is the way I learned, between zero and 30. And that will bring you right up the reef and like I said, five miles later, the reef will at some point fizzle out. It'll get to the most undulating parts of the reef, which I said was the north half. And then it'll just kind of taper off and die. It'll get to a spot we call the butt cheeks. Because if you look at your chart plotter, <laughs> it looks like a, a set of butt cheeks. And even up in that flat, the butt cheeks flat, that can be really, really good fishing. Um, and etiquette wise, this is a little bit of what I'm going to go into in my seminar next month for fishing the bank reef. You go northbound in the early morning. You get to the end of the reef, you turn east, and then you either head to deep water or you come back a little bit deeper water going southbound. So there is an, an etiquette, there is a method that everybody who fishes Sturgeon Bay kind of abides by. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that because that was kind of my next question. This isn't a secret. The place that we're talking about isn't a place that, that no one knows about. Everybody knows about it. How do you go out there and deal with with the traffic not just as a captain but if, if someone else is going to go out there as kind of a, a 
an average Joe to fish it, how do you handle that kind of traffic? Well, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Chris. It can get pretty crowded um, on a nice, calm Saturday, you know, especially maybe during the KD tournament when, when everybody's out. Um, smaller boats are out that maybe don't have the best electronics. And, and those, those guys, are, they're intimidated. Uh, a lot of them I talk to say, I'm not even going to mess with the reef. Uh, and that's fine. There's, there's plenty of fish other places. There's plenty of fish in deep water. But the reef, when it's on, is, like I said, it's unbelievable. So, like I said earlier, the etiquette of going north in your first pass, you know, that 4.15, 4.45 in the morning when the sun's coming up, the prime time, everybody kind of just gives each other space when you approach the reef this is this is what i do i look ahead two three miles and i pick a gap in the lights you can see the red and green lights you see the white stern light and you just pick a gap and you do the best that you can but like i said on a saturday it's tough it's tough it can get crowded um people that are a little bit less experienced um maybe you can't keep their boat quite as straight as they would like to um, you have to remember that people are running, you know, 300 lead cores, 300 coppers, and you just give space, a cushion behind the boat, um, to accommodate that. And especially if they have a fish on one of those lines, it'll run it out even further. Very cool. What, what's your best, you keep saying when it's good. All right. So when, when is your favorite time to fish the bank reef? Um, I really like June because the water's still cold, which means the fish aren't as apt to, to take a dive to deep water. Um, I like a freshly stratified water column. So a south wind will push cold water up from the Sheboygan hole. It's really, really deep off Sheboygan, a thousand feet. And a hard south wind will push that cold water up into Sturgeon Bay where we're fishing. And it'll make a nice solid thermocline. And if that thermocline is on the reef, I mean, 2012, if you didn't catch 30 fish in two, three hours, you were doing something wrong because it was amazing. So things things can get real good. That's also, uh, I believe, is where the uh, Wisconsin State record king salmon was caught, right there in your neighborhood, correct? Right, forty four pounds, fifteen ounces on the Rose Charter boat, which is no longer in in service. Um, unbelievable, a forty five pound fish, unreal. Yeah, <laughs> probably probably hard to beat that one. I don't know if it'll ever be beat. That's that's a pig. Right. We've had a few few questions come in. Uh, here's one that says, is lack of stocking the primary reason you don't see many coho in your neck of the woods? I don't think so. I personally don't think so. I think we don't see the cohos up by us because um, it takes so much longer for the water to, to warm up by us. If we do see a coho, it's a, you know, it's a 12, 14 pounder. It's a really big one. You got to remember these are ocean fish. If they want to cover miles, they're going to cover miles. It's no big deal to them. I just think that our water temps don't get quite to where the cohos like it. I mean, if you're catching dozens and dozens and dozens, you know, Sheboygan and South, it's not a stocking issue. We just don't get them up by us. Right. So just kind of more of a product of, of, of what you guys have in your neighborhood, not the habitat that they're looking for. Uh, Clark Nizial wants to wants to know how great is the steelhead fishing there. Steelhead fishing is is amazing, and to be honest with you, we had some years where the king fishing wasn't wasn't very good, and we fished steelhead, and it was it was awesome. It was a real saving grace. Um, steelhead fishing is as far as what I do. We get out 
you know, last week of May is when we start going out for steelhead. And I like to find that break between 49 and 50, you know, where that break ends up being the last week of May, first couple of weeks of June, I get on that line if I can find it. And that's, it's hot. Just working that top of the water column with high divers boards and in high riggers. It's, it's really, really good. Very cool. Pete Hoyam here with the question. He wants to know how wind direction may change your tactics. Wind direction off of Sturgeon Bay and especially on the bank reef is very, very important. Like I mentioned to you earlier, a south wind um, blowing that cold water up from Sheboygan will stratify the water. It will make a nice hard thermocline and you know exactly where to fish. Um, problem with south wind is it can cool it down really fast. And I've seen it cool it down so fast. We're talking 15 degree drop overnight and the surface of the water is littered with dead alewives. Probably not going to do very well that day. Um, on the contrary, a north wind will bring warmer water from the bays that we have north of Sturgeon Bay. So Bailey's Harbor, the Jackson Port area that will push warmer water down into our area off the bank reef and those fish will swim down. Okay. They want to find that nice 54, 55 degree water. Very cool, John. How about, uh, let's talk, let's get back to fishing Chinook uh, on the uh, bank reef. You talked about having a big spread, 16 rods. You're going to go out there and set up your rods. Tell us a little bit about your setup and how you have things set up. Sure. So we, uh, at first we run four cannon downriggers, um, two off, two off the sides, two straight back. Um, we'll run two wire dipsies. It's 30 pounds, seven strand stainless steel dipsies. Um, on a Walker Black uh, Dipsy Diver, we'll run a set of high divers just outside of that. So our wire diver rods are nine feet, our high diver rods are 10 feet. And then we will um, run four boards on each side up on top, uh, 200 copper, 300 copper, and the different segments of lead core. What, what do you like? What are you putting on the end of those end of those lines? Uh, well, B&E Tackle, you know, since you mentioned it, has come a long way with, and I got a couple here, um, they're LED lighted spoons. Um, this is from Jeff Balza, B&E Tackle, go to bnetackle.com. They've come a long way with their LED lighted spoons. Um, their flies are amazing, either lighted or not lighted. Um, you can go right on the website and order them with or without a leader. You can order them rigged pro, which means a treble hook along with a single hook, and those are I mean, they're amazing. I use them all the time and, and, and they're great. Uh, salmon candy has come a long way with a lot of their stuff. But when people ask me, and I think this is what you're getting to, Chris, um, colors. And, and I'll, answer the, I'll, I'll answer the question, but it's not my favorite question because it's not as important as what I'm going to hope somebody else asks. Um, colors, there's so many tackle manufacturers out there and they're coming out with new stuff every day. And it's all great. And, and they're doing a great job. But if you know what you use in, this, in the bright sun, your chromes, your green scales, and you know what you use in the fog or the early morning or the dark or the clouds, I mean, that's what you use. Um, I guess the biggest, the biggest change that I personally have made in the last few years is keeping UV on longer. I always took my UV and my glow off almost immediately when the sun came up. But these past couple of years, I found myself leaving it on almost all day and they still bite it. So it's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. I know Lake Michigan with uh, just about this kind of an issue, just about every uh, great lake now these days is the water's getting so clear 
You've got a lot of light penetration down there. How does your spread change throughout the day? Right. Um, so Lake Michigan, especially in the Door County area, has gotten, I can't even say gin clear because it's clearer than that. It is, it's, it's, it's so clear. You can count the stones in 30 feet of water if the sun's up. Um, it makes for pretty pictures. It makes for pretty videos, but it's, it's tough to fish sometimes, especially if it's calm, especially if the sun's out. Um, downriggers, I'd hate to say it because I love downrigger fishing. They don't get nearly the bites that they used to in the late 90s. Not even close. I can stretch those leads back 100 feet, 150, and they catch fish, but not nearly like they used to. I, I need to have those boards out, those 300 coppers, those 10 color lead cores. They catch, I would guess, 70% of our fish. Cool. Here's one from Ryan Art, and I like this question. He says, who was your most influential mentor in the fishing industry that helped you to succeed and help you get where you are today? Oh, right. Um, so in 1997, I started, I'm sure, like most captains did as a first mate. Uh, his name is Fritz Peterson. He runs the JE Fishing Enterprises charter boat, JE Fishing. Um, and he can he taught me not only how to fish, not only how to run a boat, um, but you got to remember as a charter captain and a first mate, you're you're dealing with people first. That's the most important thing, their safety, their comfort, and then the fish catching. Fish catching is third. So watching him deal with customers, um, learned a lot about him, how to fish. All that stuff I talked about with wind, I learned from him. He's been doing it. 38 years or something like that, maybe 40 years. He's still going strong. Um, and just everybody, you know, you don't get very far in this business if you don't ask questions. Um, you got to do stuff like this, watching podcasts, going to seminars, asking questions at your local bait shop, your fillet stations, your bolt launches. This water is way too big and there's way too much to learn if you're going to hide in your shell and not ask anybody. You got to swallow your pride and, hey, man, like, awesome, cooler, what'd you do? They'll tell you. Yeah, let's let's get into that a little bit. How how willing are people to share that information, John? When you go out and talk to people, is it something where people are trying to hold their cards to the vest, or, or is, are they sharing information with them? There's a few tournaments in the area where if you ask just before one of those, most people are pretty tight-lipped. Um, most just charter captains are actually pretty cool with it. I get people that walk down my dock all the time while I'm scrubbing or retying lines, whatever I'm doing. And I'll talk to him. Alex Campbell is right next to me. He'll talk to him. Fox Wills is great across. And and we all do it because we love it. We all do it because we want to spend time with our friends and our family. And we want to catch some fish. So I would say most, most captains are, are pretty cool with sharing it. Well, here's a question. This is this is gonna be I'm I'm looking forward to the answer to this one. It's from Jeff Hack, and this is something that I actually hear about quite a bit. And he asks, if you have an opinion on whether Lake Huron Kings come in Lake Michigan, and what do you base that opinion on? Boy, I wish I – I'll be honest with you. I wish I knew more about this stuff. Um, I know that we have some Lake Huron Kings, and I know that they have some Lake Michigan Kings. But I, you know, I don't know enough about it to give you a really accurate answer. I'm, I don't know. All right. That's good. I love it when people say, I don't know. That means it's a good question. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Bart Teagan asks if you have an opinion about flasher color early in the year as opposed to mid-July and later. 
Um, you know, I, I never thought about the time of the year in flasher color. I think of it more as the conditions I'm faced with on that particular day. Um, the light level is the biggest thing. Um, if it's cloudy, foggy, uh, very early morning, I'll use a lot of pearls, a lot of whites. Um, if it's if it's sunny, it's a lot of chrome and, and green scale, stuff like that. But no, I haven't I haven't noticed myself changing much, you know, let's say early June versus late August. How does that fishery change throughout the year, John? How does it how does how are things different there fishing in say June compared to August? You said that the water obviously warms up. June, you're still fishing cold water. What is, what is life like there uh, later in the season? Right. Um, so like with a lot of ports, and I and I watched Casey last week, we're, we're doing a lot of brown fishing right now. We'll fish browns from about March 15th when the ice gets out until the water hits about 50, 52 degrees. And then we'll transition off of them and we'll start looking for steelhead. Like I said, they love that 49 to 50 degree break. Sometimes you only got to go out a couple miles. Sometimes they're going out 15. Um, but if you find that spot, it's great. Um, once the water starts to stratify, it's really cool that we can target both kings down at the, at the thermocline and, and steelhead up on top. Now, what you're getting at, Chris, is as the water warms in August, what do we do? Um, we do fish deeper, not only in where we set our baits, but we fish deeper water. Um, and in late August, a, a great thing is the salmon are naturally reproducing. Um, less work for the DNR to do. The problem is, is they don't have an accurate count on what's out there because they're not the ones putting them in there. The salmon are putting the salmon in there. And most of the natural reproduction is happening in Michigan, which makes, <laughs> which makes our salmon who are hanging out on the bank reef for most of the year, start to wiggle their tails toward Michigan. And our fishing does get a little slow around, um, around Labor Day time, um, but we still do very well. Yeah, it looks like the Wisconsin DNR is increasing that stocking now. It was something that, that was announced a year or two ago. Another thing I'm seeing is more and more pen projects up and down uh, the shores of Lake Michigan on the Wisconsin side. Do you think stuff like that will help increase and make that fishing better as time goes on? Yeah, I think so. There's private clubs uh, stocking trout and salmon, and anytime you can get that that imprinting uh, to return to where those fish are are stocked, uh, whether it's Sturgeon Bay, Kiwani, Algoma, uh, Marinette, Menominee, um, that's what we need. Um, the natural reproduction is awesome. I'm glad to see it, but that doesn't help us where we are. All right, Bert or Bart Tegan's got another one here. He said, I think you said you run four planer boards. That seems light to him. If downriggers are not so hot, we'll go down to two downriggers and add a few more boards. Right. I'll run four boards on each side. Um, so a 300, a 200, a 10 color, and a five color. That's on one side. And then probably mirror the same thing on the other side. So I, I'm usually running eight boards because those are, those are our best lines. Yeah. Best lines and, and a lot of work out there keeping all that straight, especially when you're running a high traffic area. It is. It is. You, you really have to, you know, and I'll be honest, the first hour where it's really, really tight with boats, we don't put out those really long lines. Because um, if you get a fish on it, you know, 20, 30 pound fish, and it starts peeling line, a boat is going to cut it off. So we wait till the sun comes up a little bit, the boats spread out a little bit, and then we'll put those long lines out. Because um, you got to remember that first hour, hour and a half, those fish are feeding. So they are a little more apt to bite um, closer lines to the boat, like the dipsies and the downriggers. 
And at that point, you probably don't need as many rods because you've got plenty of action going on in the back deck there anyway. Right. All right, here's one from Brian Heron. He wants to know, how do you know if your dipsy rods are calibrated for fishing the desired depth? I didn't know you could calibrate a dipsy rod. <laughs> Maybe he's just asking, uh, how do you know that your dipsies are running the depth that, that you want them to? Right. So a wire dipsy, let's, let, I'm going to assume he's talking a wire dipsy set on number two on the dial of the dipsy with a 30-pound seven-strand stainless steel. I think it's a two to one. Just from my experience doing it day after day, year after year, if I put that wire dipsy out, set on two at 120 feet, I know it's about 60 feet down. And I know there's current changes and stuff like that, but I know it's it's in the zone of two to one. All right, folks, if you've got any questions for Captain John Pollock, go ahead and put them in the comments. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, we will be uh, choosing our question of the segment tonight. And that question, the person who asked that question is going to get a fish hawk swag bag with some with a hat and a bunch of stickers and all kinds of fun stuff, whatever they do. So you got questions for John, put them in there. It helps us uh, keep the show rolling here. And let's go with the next question here. It's Jeff Hack, and he wants to know how often do you run meat? And that's something that uh, you're seeing more and more people going to meet. But are you a meat guy, John? I, because I'm a charter and only because I charter, I don't run a lot of meat. If I was to take a break and do some tournaments, I would absolutely run meat. I think they're big fish killers, but it's so hard when you're running. You're running nonstop on no sleep. You've barely got time to get a shower in. I can't take the time and, and everything to make sure I got fresh meat and make sure it's cool. And I, I don't do it. Should I? Maybe I should, but no, I don't run much. All right. Here's one from Tom Schultz. He wants to know what your best tips are for targeting big steelhead. Ah. <sighs> From what I've gathered over the years, big fish, no matter what the species is, if it's steelhead, brown trout, kings, they've lived a little bit. They've got a little bit of experience. They've been slightly educated. And I think if you can get away from boats, the bigger fish are more apt to bite. I also think, let's say you're fishing the KD or you're the, the offshore challenge, you're king fishing. If you run less, less lines, and choose the baits that you really have a lot of confidence in, the big fish are gonna come. That's what I've experienced when I've tournament fished, looking for big fish only. I run less and I get away from other boats. And that was, that kind of ties back to a question that we had early and I skipped it, but uh, now that you brought that up, I'm gonna ask about that. Uh, someone asked about the KD. First of all, what is the KD for people who are, are not familiar with that? The KD is the Kiwanee County Door County Salmon Derby. It's nine days, the last nine days of July. Um, it's been going 33, 35 years, a long time. And um, everybody on your boat has to have a ticket, like 10 or 12 bucks. It's pretty cheap, but the winning fish is, is 10 grand cash. It goes for nine days, and the biggest fish at the end um, is the big winner, and it pays down to like 200 spots. And each weigh-in port, um, all over Algoma, Kiwani, Sturgeon Bay, all the way up the county, um, they have port prizes, so daily port prizes for the one biggest fish for that day. It's a lot of fun. and I mean, I get booked up solid for that. Very cool. Someone actually uh, had asked, so this person asked about why the big fish always seem to be caught on the very north end of the Bank Reef, 
and why those big uh, derby winning fish aren't caught in other parts of the reef. I think that they are. Um, you mentioned the state record salmon and I was out there that day and I know right where that boat was and, and he was not on the north half of the reef. I've personally caught fish in the mid 30 pound range on the south half of the reef, but I think I know what he's saying. Um, the north half is much more undulating. It's a lot more aggressive in the drop off. And that I think is what just corrals more bait fish, which is going to corral more big predator fish. Um, I think that's an accurate statement, but I wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. There's big fish all over. There's big fish out in deep water, three miles from the reef. All right, let's let's get into that. Let's kind of unbox that a little bit. Let's talk about current uh, along the, that reef. Um, obviously, with a piece of structure like that, clearly it brings in the bait fish and it's bringing in the predator fish as well. Um, what is what are the currents like around that bank reef? That's challenging. Um, that's something that takes years of fish in the bank reef to get a good handle on. And without without a fish hawk, it's it's almost impossible. If you have not invested in a subsurface speed indicator, and I'm not saying it because I'm on your podcast. I mean, they are absolutely crucial. I I noticed the difference when I put a fish hawk on my boat years ago, bigger than when I got my first GPS. Now, GPS that told me my speed. I mean, it was a huge, huge game changer for us. Um, but to answer your question, yes, the reef collects a lot of current. And we all know that the current can change speeds, but it can also change directions. It can also be a different direction at different depths. So when you have a fish hawk probe on your, on your downrigger cable, and you can raise and lower it and see where those current changes are, and you can put baits above, below, and right in it, usually that's a thermocline i mean if you can master that you are you have it john how, how do you go about doing that i mean that sounds uh, pretty complicated i think is that just something that you learn with time or what would you kind of if someone just got their fish hawk they're going to go out to the bank reef and do some fishing what would you tell them to look for while they're out there fishing okay so if you just got your fish hawk and and you don't get to spend a lot of time maybe just the weekends here's my numbers um, people love to hear the numbers and I'll do what I can, but they do change GPS speed, um, S O G speed over ground ballpark two, five, two, six. And for some reason, and I don't know why, I don't know the science of it. The fish hawk is always a half a mile per hour slower. So if I'm going two, six on the GPS, I'm usually two, one, two, two on the fish hawk. Um, that seems to be my sweet spot. Uh, I'm not speaking for everybody else. That's just what I do and how, how I succeed. Um, but you will see that change as you troll along the reef, either going north or going south. And you really just have to be diligent on keeping an eye on your electronics. If you're just going to lazy about, go down, grab a beer and eat sandwiches and not really pay attention, you're going to catch less fish. And where do you have your ball? Where do you have your fish hawk down when you're running your troll and you're getting that number? Well, so it's right above my ball, wherever my deepest downrigger is. Um, and I'll play with it, you know. And, and I, sometimes I don't even put a bait on. I just want to see what the current's doing, what the temperature's doing, finding the thermocline. Um, like I said, it, sometimes I won't even have a bait on, but it's very, very important to know those numbers. 
Very cool. All right, here we got uh, Dion Belor. He wants to know, is the first piece of the puzzle on a slow bite that you address? He's talking about adjusting the angle of your troll. Basically, I think what he's asking is, what do you do if you get out there and things aren't going the way you want them to go? Kind of what's the first step to trying to get on that bite if you're not on it right away? Right. And, and I was hoping somebody would ask this question because it is so much more important than bait color. You know, when I bring customers out, they're always, you ever try different colors? You ever try different colors? And, and yeah, we do. We do. But what's really important is trying different speeds. And I'm not only talking about the speed on your throttle handles, which, which is important. You have to do that. But I'm talking a degree or two on your compass to change your heading can make all the difference. And it's not because the lures are certainly moving faster or slower. It's the way that they're, they're swimming in the current that's down where the baits are. Um, tackle manufacturers right now aren't making tackle because um, it mimics, I don't want to say this. We don't troll too fast because it's too fast for the salmon. I mean, these are Pacific Ocean fish. They can swim 25 miles an hour with two acts of the tail. We're trolling a certain speed because it makes those baits work perfectly. And the salmon, and the, the bait manufacturers are making them to work at a perfect speed. And you got to find that. And that's why certain speeds work or certain baits work well for different fishermen because they know what speeds they like to troll. And other, other baits work well for people that like to troll faster. People that troll faster don't use the same baits as the people that troll slower. Yeah, that's, that's funny. We talk a lot, to a lot of captains. Uh, some of the guys I talk to, I call them, I call them Ricky Bobbies. I like to go fast. It's like, it's like Ricky Bobby from, uh, from Talladega Nights. Yeah. 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 We got some Ricky Bobbies out there. And, and here's another good question. This is from Jeff Balza. He wants to know, uh, sees a lot of people look at running lures independently, but with the gin clear water, do you have any tips or recommendations on setting up a group dynamic between the baits, essentially having your, your kind of your spread work together as a team? I, I can honestly say I don't do a whole lot of that. I, I don't work my baits together unless I have a reason to work them together. You know, if I'm getting consistent bites at 55 feet, I'm going to put my downriggers at 55 feet. I'm going to put my dipsies at 110. Um, I'll do that because the fish told me that that's what they like. But to start out, to find fish, what I do just about every day is spread things out. A couple baits below the thermocline, most in it, and a few baits above. Um, if you're looking at, this is something I, I touch on in my seminars, if you're looking at your sonar and you're marking fish, um, you really have to remember your cone shape and your cone size of, of the signal that you're putting out. Obviously in a cone, it's smaller on top. You're marking more as that cone gets deeper and wider. So you might think, wow, all the fish are down at 80 feet. Maybe, but remember your sonar is marking more water at 80 feet than it is at 30. So don't count out those higher fish, even though you might mark less, keep things spread out. Yeah, that's a good tip. That's something that I think a lot of people don't think about when they're fishing is how that cone works and the dynamics of that cone. I like that. We've been talking a lot about clear water and 
how the water has changed at Lake Michigan. I'm going to take that answer away from you when I ask you this question. And you've been out on this lake for a long time. And what do you think is the most significant change on Lake Michigan since you started? And you can't say clear water. What else do you got? Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, I took I took the easy easy answer away from you. Um, we've seen a lot less lampreys. When I started fishing with Fritz in the late '90s, um, lampreys on a lot of lake trout, a lot of salmon. We see maybe two or three lampreys uh, all season now, so that's good. Um, and the changes that I've seen over, you know, I've, this would be the 25th season for me, kind of go up and down. So the changes like king salmon size, they go up and down with the size and the amount of alewives that we have. So it's not like a change that stayed permanent. It's changes that are constantly in flux. That's a great answer, John. Let's let's kind of open that up a little bit too. We haven't uh, we haven't talked about lake trout. Not much anyway. Is that something that, that you go after in your neck of the woods? Not anymore. Um, when the water was dirtier, we would bounce the bottom for lake trout before the king showed up. So middle of May into the first week of June, excuse me, we would go to the spot on the bank we've called the rock pile, fish 85 to 110 feet, bounce the bottom. And it was so good, Chris, that we didn't even put poles in the rod holders. We just held them like this. And it was a few seconds before lake trout would bite. Um, I I don't know if there aren't as many anymore or if we're just not fishing them because now with the water being so clear, you can't let your stuff touch bottom. It's immediately full of moss. All your baits are screwed up. So we don't bounce bottom anymore. We'll fish close to bottom, but that's not the same. Um, true lake trout fishing is bouncing bottom and it works really, really well, but we can't do it anymore. Um, to answer your question, three lake trout last year on my boat all season long none the year before none the year before that you're not chasing that now i remember actually what i wanted to ask you because you said that uh, the lampreys have been down what do you think has gone into that why aren't, aren't they out there in the numbers that they used to be i know they were the dnr was using some lampreyside uh, to cut down on the numbers i was seeing them on the bay even stuck on walleyes i caught a muskie with one on but that's years ago. Um, I'm I'm not a biologist or or any type of DNR expert, but whatever they're doing, it's working, and and I'm really impressed with the results I've seen in the past, you know, five to eight years. Someone else asked about uh, your leaders. What are you using for leaders? Uh, if he's asking fly leaders, uh, I use sixty pound fluorocarbon, um, Stren, uh, Stren or or, or Berkeley. Um, 28 inches, 30 inches. We started running flies when they first came out. When Howie Fly first came out, 16 inches, 18 inches. We got crazy when we went to 22. Now we're doing 28 and 30 inches. And if you do those lengths, you have to have that 60 pounds, uh, 60 pound test to keep it stiff so that fly has that action. Um, if he's asking rod leaders, um, my downriggers with the clear water, I'm going as far back as I can without my lines um, tangling while I'm trolling. Um, so 100 feet, sometimes 150 if I know I'm gonna stay straight for a while. And one big change that I've made over the last three years that I know has caught me more fish is going to nine foot leaders on my dipsies. 
I use a 30 pound fluorocarbon between my dipsy diver and my bait and just a couple of extra feet. Cause we used to do six feet and it caught fish, but I thought, let's just do three more feet. Let's go to nine feet. And it's a huge pain in the butt because netting becomes a two man operation. One hand on the line, another person with the net, it, it sucks, but we get significantly more bites with three longer, with the three feet longer on the dipsy leaders. Well, that leads into Rick Butel's question, and he said, it sounds like you feel like downrigger balls can spook the fish in the clear water. That's why you're running those long leaders on them. He wants to know why you think that the dipsies don't spook them as much. Um, with the downriggers, I don't necessarily think it's the balls that scare them. I do like to keep everything black. I've got black balls. I've got black dipsies. I think that helps. Um, but I think what scares them as far as the downriggers go is the boat itself. You know, my boats turn in a big 454 engine and you know, I only run one while I'm trolling, but that's a big growly girl and those fish don't like that. Um, and as you get further from the boat, dipsies, high dipsies, boards, you notice that you catch more fish just because of the boat turbulence and the boat noise, I think. Just getting it out away from the boat is what's, what's helping you out there. Right. And that's the same thing with brown fishing. You know, uh, we do a lot of shoreline trolling here for browns and and I'll put those floating stick baits 150 feet behind the board. And then I'll put the board another 150 feet from the boat. And that bait is virtually running like a phantom. It's just completely quiet. And that's how you do it up here in this gin clear water. You have to. All right, Paul Hoya, massive question. It actually leads into one of my questions. He says, I realize it's not conducive to running a charter, but what are your thoughts on night fish? fishing i heard bigger kings will slide into the shallower water at night to feed and i and i've heard of a lot of guys out there fishing that bank reef at night so tell us a little bit about that yeah a night fishing on a moonlit night is awesome i like like you said i don't do it because i have to get up at three in the morning every day but i know people that do it i have friends that do it they don't leave till seven or eight eight at night on a moonlit night and it can be lights out it's just like it's just like a normal day with that first crack of sun I mean, they don't need a lot of light to see, but they need some. If you're fishing on a crescent moon or, or a new moon, you're, you're not going to do well. But if you do a half moon or better, full moon is excellent. Look on your calendars to find out when that full moon is. You're away from other boats. There's not as many people out there. And it's it's prime feeding time all night long. Cool. Let's, let's get into that a little bit. You said you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So tell these guys a little bit about life of a guide. I know everybody dreams of fishing for a living, getting paid for fishing. Tell us about what that's like for you, uh, fishing for a living, getting paid fishing. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's it's definitely something that you have to love, and you have to love more than just the fish. You have to love your boat, you have to love water, and you have to love people, which is very, very difficult sometimes. Um, but it's more than just catching fish. It's seeing the smiles on kids' faces when they catch their first decent-sized fish or their first fish at all. Or, um, you know, just how excited they get when they start a video and, and seeing their, their picture on my Facebook page. It's really great. But it's hard. It's hard getting up at 3 every single day. You don't have weekends. You don't have holidays because that's the busy time. That's when people want to book you to go out fishing. And if anybody has a desire to get into this charter fishing business, you you have to understand that um you know when i was 14 15 16 all my friends were rooting around sturgeon bay chasing girls and doing other things and 
I was in bed 7 38 o'clock every night, but I had more money than all them put together. <laughs> <laughs> more money. And look at you now, you get to do this for a living, which I think is pretty cool. Um, you know, obviously I answer your boss, but you're, you're your own boss. Right. Um, I'm lucky enough to just drive semi in the winter for my um, year round work and then my insurance. And they let me do my thing from Memorial Day through through September. Um, I really love it. It's something that they really have a passion for. And everybody's got that. Whatever that might be for you, go after it. You know, nobody um, nobody grabbed my hand and said, John, let, let me help you start a charter business. Let, let, let's do this. Nobody helped me. It was my passion. It was my dream. I went after it and got it. And that's what you got to do, no matter if it's fishing or or whatever your dream might be, you got to go after it. All right, we've got time for a couple more. Uh, we're gonna go with Corey Hewitt here. What is your go-to tactic for lip-locked late summer, early fall kings? Um, first thing I'll do is get away from boats. Um, late summer, early fall, we're talking a very deep thermal climate. So I want to I want to trust my electronics. I want to find a thermal climb with with nice hooks on it, and um, get on those fish. Stay on the fish. If you notice you're not marking anymore, that means there's no fish there anymore. Turn back, find the fish again, and change two things. One, you know how I feel about this bait color. You can make some changes there. But number one, numero uno, is changing your speed. If people put as much effort into changing their speeds as they do with all these fancy colors i guarantee you'd have a fuller cooler i guarantee it and like i said it doesn't just mean your throttle handles it's one or two degrees on the compass and and it can unlock those fish lips like you wouldn't believe all right here's another one from dion uh, belor he says when you're out deep summer or midsummer chasing rainbows you run a full surface spread you still run some deep stuff to keep the kings honest. If it's into June at all, I will keep some some king stuff down on downriggers. I would probably do my two center downriggers deep with flasher flies for the kings, and my two wire dipsies down deep for some kings. But my other lines, if I'm fishing steelhead, it's all steelhead stuff. All right. Last question from Jeff Hack. He wants to know if you use ion control. I was with Canon for a long, long time, and I used it, and I didn't use it, and I didn't see a difference. Um, I don't know if that's what people want to hear, but I personally did not see a difference between using positive ion control on the Canons years ago to the past 12 years with Big John. I, I didn't see a difference. All right, John, just uh, if people want to find out more about you, it sounds like you, you do. You've got a very, uh, you're active on social media. How do people find out more about you and your charter? Right. So if you're going to bring the family or some friends up to the Door County area and you want to get some fishing in, we'd love to have you. It's a very special thing to fish out of Sturgeon Bay. There's a lot of history. There's great fishing. There's great structure. And I teach everybody what we're doing. I, I talk to you. I tell you why we're doing what we're doing. I tell you all about the area, tell you all the great places to eat. I talk about it as the totality of the experience. Yeah, we want to go out and catch fish. We want to catch big fish. But there's so much other stuff that you need to be let in on in our area. 
So if you want to check us out, um, Real Impression Charters on Facebook, www.realimpressioncharters.com on the web, uh, Instagram, and YouTube. I don't do a whole lot on YouTube, but I'm trying to get better at it. Um, and you can always just call me. If, you, if you're up there in your own boat and you need to know what's going on, just give me a call, 920-495-3302. And it is a beautiful area. Uh, I haven't been over for a couple of years, but uh, we've stayed up in Door County a few different times, and it's a, it's a wonderful place to visit. If you like football, you're in Wisconsin. Hey, you get to stop by Lambeau and you cruise through Green Bay too, and check that out as well. It's uh, within an hour's drive, and uh, oh, it's kind of the gateway to when you head up to to Door County. So a beautiful place to visit, and uh, like we've talked about it here over the last hour, a great place to go fishing. Absolutely. And and it's everything. Like I said, anywhere from perch to muskies, we, we have it all. We have everything. All right. So the winner tonight is Jeff Hack. Jeff, I love your question about Lake Huron and you stumped Captain John Pollock. So go ahead and send us a <laughs> go ahead and send us a, a private message with your address and we will get your swag package out. Once again, Captain John Pollock, thanks so much for joining us tonight and taking some time out with us it was really really fun to talk to you. you had a lot of great stuff and you've got a you've got a seminar coming up you talked about that a little bit when is your seminar where is it how can people see it right so a couple of announcements if you don't mind chris um we've got this sturgeon bay king fishing the bank reef pole idea uh at mr elford's water sports marine on mid valley drive in De Pere. that's may 29th at 9 30 in the morning and I'll be doing a lot of this kind of talk, um, even more in depth, a lot of question and answer. So if you want to get in person, I will have a lot of tackle there and setups and see exactly how I tie knots, exactly how I rig. I'll cover it all on May 29th. Very good. And uh, you've, you have a, uh, a tournament coming up too. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's funny. I was sitting in the living room with my wife in March and I said, honey, I'm going to start a steelhead tournament. There's never been a steelhead tournament anywhere as far as I know. When I Googled it, there were a couple, um, you know, kind of stream fly fishing steelhead tournaments around. But nobody's ever had a steelhead only fishing tournament anywhere as far as I know. So on June 5th, we're going to do a steelhead only tournament based out of the lodge at Latham Smith in Sturgeon Bay. That's that's my marina, my lodge where I, where I leave from. Uh, shotgun start at 5 o'clock, back into the buoys at 2 o'clock. Um, three biggest steelhead paying one, two, and three. Um, if we fill the, fill the cap at 60, 60 boats, um, we're going to pay 4,000, 3,000, 2,000, and it's 150 bucks a team to get in. So we call that affordable poker. If you want to get out and uh, have a good time, out there, check out the tournament. And again, check out John at Real Impression Charters. Once again, John, really appreciate you uh, taking some time out with everybody tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.